This is episode number 365 with Radha Agrawal of the Founder Podcast. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human. Who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating, fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. Now. now, the Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Seth Ghost, Steve Case, Gary V, Sophia Amoroso, Barbara Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Before we start today's episode, I just want to let you know that our goal at Founder is to help entrepreneurs succeed however we can by giving away high quality content in the form of interviews, blog posts, podcasts, YouTube videos, you name it. We put out so much content to help you. And another interesting project that we're working on right now is partnering with world-class founders like Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills like negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free trainings with founders like this, which is 100% free, just go to founder.com forward slash free. Okay, so now let's talk about today's episode. Hey guys, Nathan here. Welcome back to another episode of the Founder Podcast. Today we have an incredible guest. Uh, Radha Agrawal is the co-founder of a company called Thinks, Dose, and also Daybreaker. And in this episode, you're really going to understand how to build a tribe how to create a global community, how to really build brand loyalty in everything that you do within your business. And, you know, this is something that Rada really specializes in. Uh, You know, she co-founded Thinks, incredible company, had an incredible exit, uh, nine-figure exit. This is an incredible story. I really, really enjoyed speaking with her. This is a very open, honest, vulnerable conversation, but also just tons of gold on how to build a tribe, how to build a community, how to build brand loyalty, which is something that we all want to do for our business. So I hope you enjoy this episode, guys. Now let's jump in the show. The first question that we ask everyone that comes on is, uh, how did you get your job, aka how did you find yourself doing the work you're doing today? Yeah. So, um, I, I'm actually unemployable, so, um, I never had a job. (laughs) Um, so, (laughs) so I've been, you know, building, um, brands from, you know, uh, for the last 20 years or so, um, and how I got into each of my businesses. So, you know, I've, I've built many businesses for the over the last 20 years. Um, but, um, I got into them, but because um, I saw that whatever I was dealing with and I wanted to create sucked in my world, you know? So it's, it's a sort of like the question that you always ask as an entrepreneur is like, what sucks in my world, right? And does it suck for a lot of people, not just me? And can I be passionate about this issue, cause, or community for a very long time? So those are the things that I look at and I think about when I start anything. So um, how I got my first job or how I built my first job really, um, just came through 
yeah, really sort of, I'll share one of them. Um, I started an underwear company with my sister and a friend called Thinks Underwear. I don't know if you know about it, but it's uh, underwear that you can bleed into. And um, have you have you heard of it? Yeah, from, from doing research, yes. Okay, got it. Yeah, so so that came from just being you know, a heavy bleeder and, and sort of recognizing that so many women in my community who are, you know, young professional women were dealing with the same pain point. So, um, instead of complaining about it, which I think is what most people do is, is backseat drive and complain. Um, we began just doing research on different fabrics and different, um, technologies that exist to create underwear that, that, you know, you didn't have to wear tampons and pads that were invented by men, you know, that you could create, that we could create a pair of underwear that, um, that served women um, that were for women by women. And um, we crowdsourced it, launched on Kickstarter and built it from there. And and um, so that just came really from, you know, just feeling, I guess, desperation. You know, I was like going on subways, heading to different meetings and I would get it from the subway seat on these embarrassing giant blood stains on the subway seat, you know, and they're just like really embarrassing things that would happen that most people don't talk about or, or men don't realize. And my sister is a surgeon, for example, and she's doing 15 hour surgeries and, you know, she can't just get up and go change her tamp on her pad. So she's just dealing with, and so many female, you know, surgeons are dealing with these types of issues. And so we learned that our product ended up serving and supporting so many people. Um, so yeah, it started with my own pain point and then ended up, um, serving millions of people around the world. And I think for me, another thing that I'm interested in is, is, just, you know, social causes. And so being Indian, you know, half Indian, um, I noticed that, um, you know, there was such a discrepancy between women finishing school and men finishing school in, in India and Africa, actually, for that matter. And it turns out that um, 100 million girls um, drop out of school in India and Africa all over the world because of something as natural as their periods. And so um, so that's an example of, of, uh, of a business that I started that not only served us here in the developed world, but also served young girls in developing countries. And so we for every pair of underwear you you know you, you bought here, we funded the production of seven washable reusable cloth pads in developing countries. And so instead of kind of the dropship model, which I think is is really nice, but it creates sort of a welfare economy where you're just waiting for shoes to be dropped or you're waiting for things to um, to come to you versus creating an economy inside the space. So um, so so created that ecosystem um, with Thinks, and then um, and then with Daybreaker, which is my current. Uh, endeavor, which I started seven years ago. This is a, a sober early morning dance community. And, um, you know, when I was in, ha in the hamster wheel of entrepreneurship and just really kind of just feeling like overworked, exhausted, you know how it is when you're building anything, you're just sort of going pedal to the metal, trying to keep up with the boys and, and not allowing the feminine to, to invite, be invited into your, into your work environment. So I just would, you know, I just saw that the nightlife experience was just overrun by drugs, alcohol, everyone on their cell phones, no one actually talking. It was just a very, you know, kind of a predatory environment for women. If I kind of danced my face off and, and you know, I really wanted to, to let my hair down, it would felt like an invitation to some some gross dude, you know, to, to approach me um, or my friends at, at a club. And so my friends and I, my friend and I, we created this, this project called Daybreaker, which is... Um, again, a social experiment where we wanted to um, just 
basically turned nightlife on its head, right? Where the wellness industry was beginning to boom, nightlife was also very cool, but what if we brought the two together? So um, I'm very interested in, in wellness and um, and so we were like, what if we removed all the vices of, of nightlife and um, instead of, you know, a mean bouncer looking up and down at the door, we replaced it with a hugging committee. You know, what if we replaced alcohol with, you know, green juice, coffee and tea and just kind of replace the entire dark nightlife experience with a morning, early morning, sober, well experience. And that community blew up um, all around the world. We're actually also in Australia um, and all around the world. So um, it's called, yeah. And, and again, you know, in the pandemic happened. Anyway, yeah, we can, we can, we can keep talking about that um, until the cows come home. But, um, but, but all of my projects started from a pain point in my own life. Yeah, no, fascinating. So, um, I'd love to talk about your first business. What was your first business? Was it Things? Um, no, actually, my first business was a gluten-free farm-to-table pizzeria in New York ah, City. Ah, yes, yes, um, yes. And, and I did that with my sister, Mickey. Um, and, you know, again, that it was like, wow, you know, America eats, uh, you know, the, the length of like a thousand football fields every day in pizza, yet there's nothing that helps us who are gluten intolerant, who are lactose intolerant, who, you know, want to enjoy something as, uh, you know, what something as delicious as pizza can be, but, but is just covered in, in just crap ingredients. So we sort of set out to create um, kind of a first of its kind, gluten-free, farm-to-table, organic. At the time, 15 years ago when we launched it, nobody was talking about organic. They thought it meant gr- like dirt from the dirt, and so they thought it was like gross. And so we had to educate our customer on what organic meant and what local meant and what gluten-free meant. Um, and um, so it was really fun to to sort of see that whole world um, bloom and boom uh, after we launched um, our restaurants. Mm, interesting. And that's when you started moving to e-commerce and brands? Yeah. So from there, I think, you know, everything in life, it's sort of like you have to follow kind of the the joy ride, right, as you go. And and I think for, for me, um, you know, at the restaurant, um, children would come in and they would order just plain cheese pizza, no green stuff, you know, on their pizzas. And I began sort of seeing this happening over and over again. And obviously as a Canadian uh, from Montreal, I, you know, moving to America, it was the first time I really witnessed real childhood obesity everywhere I went. So I created this children's menu at the restaurant uh, with these little superhero characters called the Super Sprouts. And the whole idea was, you know, to teach children through the superpowers of vegetables um, why each vegetable was exciting or important. And kids would come in, they'd order these, they would they would color on the menu and they'd run to the counter and be like, mommy, mommy, I want to be super strong like Brian Broccoli or I want to have super, you know, sight like Colby Carrot, you know, it's good for your eyes. And so you started creating, you know, these, these kind of characters and the parents would come up to me and they would say, oh my gosh, um, my kids never eaten vegetables before. What's happening? Um, and my first job was actually an analyst on Wall Street, um, uh, investment banker. Oh, my very, wow. very, very first thing, but we don't talk about that. Um, <laughs> right before 9-11. But I, I began analyzing the, the universe of, of wellness and, and, sorry, and, and children's eating um, and realized that there was you know, nothing that taught children in a media-driven, fun, kind of playful way how to... Um, just educate them on the importance of, of healthy eating. So, so that's where I went and raised, you know, initially half a million dollars, and it ended up, ended up being, you know, five hundred, uh, five million dollars 
um, over the course of, of a few years, um, just banging down every door I could find. And I can share so many crazy stories of how I raised the money, um, but um, but I did, and and it was a wild it was a wild journey. I ended up, it ended up being actually a really a really really nightmarish experience because I took money from the wrong people and ended up having a hostile takeover and, and basically lost everything um, after working on it for five years. Um, and so that was, you know, that was devastating um, to know, to, to sort of realize that that could, that could happen to us as entrepreneurs. And there's so many more kind of adventures that go into it, but, but that's part of the, the joyride of entrepreneurship, you know. Yeah, no, it sounds like you've got some incredible stories to tell. So I'd like to, I'd like to delve deep on some of those, right? Like, because this is stuff, you know, people don't often talk about those. So like, so what was this company? Like it was, it was around children's books? Yeah, so we you know we developed content, media, curriculum. Um, we had a whole sort of live event series that went around to kids' schools that taught kids with puppet shows, and um, we we launched a YouTube channel. Um, it's called Super Sprouts, and uh, we were you know we there was we 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 were just about to sign a, a, a we had just signed a TV show to do a, a kids' TV show. And so, yeah, it was meant to be the next Sesame Street, you know, the next Peppa Pig, um, the next SpongeBob. That was a dream. And and but right before we signed our our contract to do TV, um, we were reaching about a million kids around the world um, through our curriculum, through our our content, our books, um, and just all of our our live show events uh, experiences. And um, and it kind of grew from there. Um, yeah. And then what happened? How was it? How was it taken? Yeah, I, I you know I I think it's like when you're a, you know, a naive, you know, kind of entrepreneur and you just want to, um, you're just so focused on the mission and so focused on children and so focused on like growing the, the sort of, um, just, uh, your kind of purpose and, 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 and really sharing, um, yeah, just, just really just so diehard focused on your mission that you don't really read between the lines, you know? And, and, and I guess, unless we have great mentorship, like this type of podcast or like this type of conversation, you know, most founders don't know just how sharky it can be out there. And so um, I signed a uh, contract when I raised um, a $3 million round with these sharky investors. And they basically convinced me to um, sign away my um, my board seats and my my control of the business. Um, because we were never going to fight. Things are going to be great. We're always going to be, you know, like we're a family. Don't worry, you know. And and I totally believed that. I didn't even think about it. It didn't even occur to me to not trust that at the time because I was so excited to have a three million dollar million dollar check come in. So excited to have um, seasoned sort of investors, you know, believe in the brand and the product um, and what we were creating. So um, I think I just naively jumped in thinking that that it was, you know, like winning the lottery. But really what I realized when I share with entrepreneurs now is just that, um, you know, walking away from $3 million when it's the wrong deal is a better move than um, signing a deal that will end up in a hostile takeover. I mean, literally years of just like deep trauma and I'm still dealing with with that today of just um, betrayal and, you know, doing a lot of leadership training around, you know, um, just, you know, not, not, um, 
not kind of um, going into relationships expecting betrayal, you know, because one can start something so beautifully, so open, so loving, and not and 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 you know you don't you don't realize what what could happen on the other side. So how long did it take for you to recover from that? You know, what's wild is that um, I, I feel like I'm I'm just now, you know, 65 years later, just really now realizing what a gift that was because I think through this leadership training that I'm doing now through just a lot of, um, you know, kind of just a lot of different uh, coaching and, and support that I'm, I'm thinking about um, or that, that I've invited into my life that, that I've that I've really kind of reconciled it and, and seen these investors as my angels. And, and, and what happened was when that hostile takeover happened, I had just launched Daybreaker. So I was able to dive headfirst into this other business without really ever kind of unpacking the trauma of that experience. I just sort of dove into the next project and just completely um, buried the trauma of that experience and just was, okay, I'm doing something else and it's next and Daybreaker kind of had a media, it was kind of the opposite of, of, of super sprouts where it was a slog to get it off the ground. There's so many stakeholders to win the education system, the parents, the, you know, the, the, um, just the, the media ecosystem. There's so many different universes to, to conquer. Whereas daybreaker, we were throwing morning dance parties and it was just cool and it was relevant and it was, it was fun. It was exciting. It was juicy. And so just, it just blew up immediately overnight and I just got to ride that wave on the other side of this crazy trauma. So I've been riding this wave for the last seven years and, and really only during the pandemic um, did I stop to, you know, sort of face myself, face my traumas, face the betrayal, face all of that um, to move through it and, and to, to continue kind of my entrepreneurial journey uh, from a place of... of um, I guess a place of ease and a, and a place of, um, of, of trust that, that is earned, you know, now going forward. Um, and you know, along the way, right. Like I, I sold my company thinks, um, last year or last year. And it was, a you know, it was a really exciting life-changing exit. Um, and, um, and so that sort of has allowed me to no longer, I mean, to really no longer think of, the next projects that I do through the lens of, you know, needs to scale, needs to, you know, needs to have this epic hockey stick growth. It's like, what can we do to scale our purpose, our mission, um, and have evergreen growth over the next, you know, 10, 20 years. Like I don't, I, you know, for Daybreaker, we didn't raise any money. It's, it's a, it's a small business. We own a hundred percent of it, me and my two partners. And, um, and we've, you know, we've been asked a million times, um, for people to, to invest in our, to, for funds to invest in our in in our company, um, and and it's been easy. It's been so wonderful to be able to say no. We're so cash flow positive. It's a profitable business. Um, our margins are incredible, um, and we don't need you. So it's been a really exciting place um, to really recover from um, from the experience of raising money and, and going through that traumatic experience. So, no, thank you for being so open and honest. Um, so now. It sounds like with Daybreaker, you're you're pretty keen to control, be in control of your own destiny. Absolutely, and I think I, this is also what I share with you know with every founder that I meet. It's like don't get scintillated, don't get excited about fundraising. It's just basically golden handcuffs, and when you raise any money, 
you know, yes, of course, you know, if you uh, need the infusion of capital to build your business, then let's go, you know, get it done. But, um, but there's so many more alternatives out there, so many more interesting um, sort of non-VC VCs that exist out there that you can begin exploring. Um, but if you can actually end up controlling 100% of your company, you get to go on vacation and close up shop. I close up my company every year for two weeks to go to Burning Man and our entire our entire you know company shuts down. I pay for everyone's ticket to go to Burning Man. You know, we just sort of, um, and we get to, and we, you know, we, we get to do whatever we want. You know, I get to fly our team to Germany for a Daybreaker launch party or fly our team to Tokyo to do, you know, it's whatever we want to do. And I don't have to pass it through investors to ask them if I can, you know, spare the expense of, of, of flying my entire Daybreaker team somewhere. I get to just do it um, just because I want to. And that's been a very, very freeing and liberating experience. And I think there's a lot of added pressure when you take on investor dollars that as individuals, as humans, like we just want to make sure everyone's happy. And so we just end up working ourselves into the ground. And I've, I've had so many friends who've so many friends um, who have unicorn valuations who are going through major burnout, major, um, just major PTSD, just lots and lots of different um, emotional issues from the overwork that they're that they're experiencing, not to mention lawsuits and people coming after you and, and just nonstop deluge of, um, of the things that happen to an, an entrepreneur when we get to a certain level of success. Yeah, a lot to unpack there. Okay, um, before we talk about Daybreaker, and just I think there's a, an interesting theme around being in control of your own destiny, but um, like with things, are you able to share kind of like the outcome? Absolutely, yeah. So, um, you know, we raised, so just to kind of backstep, we raised $50,000 on Kickstarter, $65,000 in a Kickstarter campaign. So launched with Kickstarter. So it was a community-backed, community-supported endeavor. Um, I'm sure everybody on Founder knows Kickstarter, but it's a really awesome community platform to raise money. Um, and from there we grew it, um, and sold it for $150 million. And then now it's, you know, now it's got some, you know, uh, Harvard MBA CEO and, and they're, they're just, they're just growing it. But I'm, I'm very much a, a cowgirl. I like to, to run into the darkness of the night and, um, kind of create a kind of, um, new innovation with that when there's nothing around. And so that's sort of where, I live and I feel the happiest um, is sort of, you know, kind of the machete and just like kind of creating that um, that new space, new ground, new um, opportunity for invention. And that that's where I, I love to to be in. And so, at a certain level of growth, it's just no longer fun for me. Yeah. Okay. I see. So, I'm curious. Like with Daybreaker, um, you've been building it controllably, uh, slowly not looking to take VC funds. I'm curious though, if you have this incredible vision and you could accelerate the amount of people you could impact, does that still, does that still not excite you? Absolutely. And that's a tension that we think about all the time, right? And I think it's, it's twofold, right? It's, um, it's valuing not only the service to the public, but, but your service to your family, the service to your own mental health, right? So, um, I think we often forget ourselves in our pursuit to have a legacy of, of, of impacting hundreds of millions of people. Why, why can't we be happy 
impacting 500,000 people and have balance in our life, right? What is it inside of us that is so insecure that we need to be impacting hundreds of millions of people to feel like we're value added, right? Like why can't we impact 5,000 people but change their lives so deeply that they go and impact their, their people's lives and their people impact their people's lives. And so it becomes a, a much more exciting sort of domino effect um, from where we sit. And, and I can tell you that, yes, we have 500,000 community members, but I know that our 500,000 community members have also then gone on to build massive communities, um, having been, been, been inspired by Daybreaker. And so we're impacting tens of millions of people not necessarily in revenue, you know, in our bottom line per se, but in our service and our purpose. So why would we go out and scale and take on all this headache of all the other things when we're our net impact, right, across the world is just as great and we're happy with the money that we're bringing in and and, and living right now, you know. And, and of course, like for the first time with Daybreaker, we just launched Dose, which is our first membership platform, which is super exciting, um, which I think the reason we started and, and the only reason I want to scale that is because, you know, we're dealing with a joy crisis right now and there's a major, and you know, sort of post-COVID, um, just insane uh, new pandemic that we're going to, that we're dealing with, which is, you know, which is just deep depression, anxiety, loneliness, you know, just all the things that, that we've, we've been experiencing around the world. So, so that, that my team and I started together so that we could scale our impact to as many people as we can to um, help them practice joy. And it's, it's sort of um, the first ever platform to do that. And, and so for me, that's where I want to, you know, put my time, effort, and energy. And fortunately, because Daybreaker is profitable, we're able to fund the startup inside of the start inside inside of Daybreaker, right? Through the revenue that we're generating from Daybreaker itself. So we get to in many ways spawn other right sister brands, sister companies from the revenue and profit that we're generating for Daybreaker without ever needing to take investor dollars. So that's a very luxury place to live. I know that. Um, but but I just think that entrepreneurs need to know that you know to really think about your net happiness right is you know as it relates to scaling your purpose and also having time for um for yourself for your family for your community for your mental health for for love for romance for dating for making children just all the things you know that that we don't think about we're so just we're just so aggro in this country, right? Like it's like, you know, must have unicorn, but we're going to make everyone as unicorn brand look like absolute superheroes. And, and everybody feels comparison because of Instagram and social media. And so we forget that the most chill, happy ones are the ones who are quietly making just a few million dollars, maybe $10 million a year. Um, but they're able to travel anywhere they want around the world. They get to play with their friends. They get to build a family. They get to do whatever the fuck they want. And nobody's telling them, um, nobody's trying to, you know, sue them for anything. No one's trying to take them down and press in media. No one's trying to, you know, um, shake them down. It's just, that's how I feel. That's my, it's actually my life right now. And it's been, um, something I'm excited to come on podcast to share because I think it's important to know the other side of success and the opportunity to really live in this liminal space between, you know, exciting, purpose-driven scale, um, that scale, 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 right? That that kind of domino scale versus um, your company needing to show that, you know, which is a very masculine belief system.
Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying this episode and learning a ton. As you know, in this series, we interview some of the greatest founders of our generation to find out how they did it. However, if you're thinking of starting your own business and you want to hear from some incredible stories from everyday people like you or I who are actually in the trenches, only been building their business for maybe one year or two years, like that are building right now and they're really in the early stages, but they're getting success, you should come and check out our new podcast, From Zero to Founder, hosted by our community manager, Molly Flynn. These are in-the-trenches stories from our very own successful students that have gone through some of our programs. People just like you who are deep within the process of building their very own successful business. These are the founders of tomorrow. You can find the From Zero to Founder podcast on all platforms. And remember, it's founder without the E. All right, now let's jump in the show. It sounds like you're, you've been doing this for a long time. You've been on both sides of the table. And um, yeah, you're really kind of very clear on how you want to build your companies going forward and the things that you want to do and, and maximizing what you would say joy or, or like, you know, maximizing just, you know, just living a good life. That's right. You know, I think, I think right now... Um, that's the biggest deficit that we're dealing with in this world and our global in the global economy is, is, is a major deficit in joy. And if we can prioritize joy as humans, if you can prioritize practicing joy, which is an investment, you can't just be wake up and be happy. It's a daily practice. If you ask the biggest psychotherapist, the biggest, um, uh, sort of healers in the world, they talk about, you know, <laughs> practicing joy as a daily experience. It just isn't a once a week or I work out my body, I brush my teeth, but practicing joy is a once in a while when I'm in the deepest depths of despair. It's something that you want to keep up every day, like brushing your teeth. Um, and so we've identified the most potent joy practices on the planet and brought them for the first time on one platform. So we have over a hundred joy practices that anyone can practice. It's like, we call them microdoses and heroic doses. It's called Dose by Daybreaker, which is like, stands for your happy hormones, dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, and endorphins. And I can't believe it spells dose, right? It's crazy that we can dose ourselves by tickling our own happy neurochemicals open. And um, we just want to teach people how to do that and stop pill popping and stop calling themselves names. I'm anxious. I'm depressed. I'm, I'm this, I'm that. Let's just begin to recognize our own superpowers and begin practicing joy, not practicing anxiety, practicing depression, practicing complaining, practicing woe is me, right? Let's practice how to be joyful. Let's, let's get underneath the surface. Let's talk about um, our traumas, our betrayals in ways that are, that are freeing. You know, and that's what we do on the platform. And it's a community too. So we're thousands of members on the community. We launched just a few months ago and our entire um, purpose and raison d'etre is to is to really just give people, you know, in the same way that you practice yoga, we want to make practicing joy the next big wellness movement, the next big wellness practice. And um, so we're launching the Joy Institute this summer. We're launching a whole modality called Functional Happiness. Um, so lots to unpack there, but that's all staying. Stay tuned for, for the summer. Yeah, wow. Sounds like you guys are doing some really cool stuff. So you talk about community. I just want to unpack as well with Daybreaker. Is that in person, these events, these experiences, or is it, and then you, now you've supplemented with online and, and, and a membership product or like, yeah, can you talk us through that around the model 
And then also I'd love to talk about community developing raving fans because I think that that's something you're very good at where you could teach our audience. Totally. So community is the backbone of every single business, of life, of love, of happiness. So to really you know, sort of put community as a must have, not a nice to have, or if I have time, I'll do. So that's sort of um, step one. And community is, um, can now in today's world be, I guess, segmented across multiple, in multiple ways. So Daybreaker, yes, we started out as in-person IRL experiences. Um, So, you know, we had you know, 500,000 people come out to Daybreaker events at Sunrise, at the top of the World Trade Center, at Sydney Opera House, at the White House, at the Museum of Natural History, at the, you know, at the wildest places all around the world. Uh, we partnered with these amaz- amazing venues, amazing communities. Um, we partnered with the biggest brands in the world from, you know, Nike to Adidas to um, to IBM to uh, just, you know, you name it. We've, we've partnered with them to create these sort of wild morning dance experiences. And what I didn't realize, you know, because we're sober, we're no longer a liability for cool brands to work with as well. So um, so Nike, who would want to maybe join a festival, um, they can't because of the number of alcohol and drug deaths that happen there, right? So what we didn't realize was the huge opportunity for sponsorship dollars that throwing epic kind of festival raves, but sober, uh, so still had the cool factor, still was fun and festival-like, but didn't have any of the liabilities. So that was really um, a big aha for us in terms of of building out the revenue model for for Daybreaker. Um, so we launched IRL. Um, that was now we're in 28 cities. I built a playbook that I I trained um, personally with my team. Um, we flew them to New York. They stayed in my house for sleepovers. Um, so we trained my team for how to build community from New York City, from my living room, in our pajamas, so that it was really um, a very authentic community-led experience internally so that we can then build it externally, right? So IRL was the big first piece for five, six years, and then COVID happened, so we had to quickly pivot. And honestly, we were the first events company to launch online. Um, Eventbrite, which is a public company, we you know we would talk frequently with the CEO, their, their CTO, throughout pandemic because they were like, what are you guys doing? We sold 200,000 tickets um, in the pandemic, and um, we had, you know, 20 of the biggest, you know, superstars who weren't going on tour, like Gloria Estefan to, you know, Gloria Gaynor saying, I will survive, to um, the Gypsy Kings, to the Village People doing YMCA. We had all these epic people performing live at Daybreaker online because they were all stuck at home. So we were able to book all this epic talent and and leverage all of their all of their talent to sort of have thirty thousand person events, like fifteen thousand person events, um, and dance our faces off during COVID. So we continue. We've, we've done twenty four episodes since the beginning of COVID, um, and we're going to continue doing a hybrid model when we come back IRL. So we call it IRL URL model, um, which I think is really a fun way to think about it. Um, so IRL URL. So we're going to begin live streaming our events, you know, IRL, so that people who are at home who can't necessarily, who live now, we're in 170 countries. We, we grew our community from 28 cities to 170 countries during COVID. Um, and so now those who can't attend an event at the top of the World Trade Center, because we're relaunching May 12th of this year, um, IRL um, in New York City, which is very exciting. We can now live stream, they can buy tickets um, to attend online, and then we'll have another ticket tier for those who can attend um, in person. 
Um, so, and then the membership model now becomes a, a deeper way to touch and connect with our community every day, right? So we're Daybreaker Live, um, IRL happens once or twice a month. Daybreaker Live Stream happens, URL happens once also or twice a month. And then Dose by Daybreaker is a daily joy practice and a touch point to support our community members on a daily basis. Got you. All right. It all makes sense. So I'm really curious how, when you talk about scaling community to, you know, sub all these different countries, what does that look like? Are you building, are you like, are you hiring people uh, and, and are they a community ambassador in certain cities and then they follow your playbook or what, what does that look like? And, and then they host an event and then you, you broadcast it out and then you, you facilitate the IRL from the broadcast. Is that? So, so it's a, it's a fewfold. I think you've got it mostly right. Um, but, um, but essentially, yes. Yeah, so I, I, my, my team and I, we wrote this playbook, um, and I actually, um, you know, quarterback it personally, cause it's so important to me to really, um, train, uh, the trainers from the horse's mouth. I think so often when we begin diluting the training by people, you know, middlemen, um, you begin losing the magic of the community. Um, so, so I, I take it upon myself and, and our small team, um, of trainers who will, um, will train our, um, city, we call them community catalysts, um, and community architects, um, a term that, that we coined at Daybreaker community architecture being a 2.0 to community building, which feels very 1.0 and Neanderthal like. Um, so we basically, um, do a whole, I mean, we have thousands of applicants around the world who want to bring Daybreaker to their cities. Um, so we have an application, um, pool, somehow people find us on our website, um, and they reach out and, and we have so many applications, people who want to bring us to their city. So we'll vet them out and we'll kind of go through a vetting process to see if a, they're community builders already, community architects already, if they have any event or experience design, um, sort of, um, know-how and, um, and then if they're culture fit for us, if we, if we want to hang out with them, if we feel, feel like they have the same sort of, um, kind of energetic, um, excitement, whack, tail wagging, zest for life, um, we want, we would want them on the team, right? So, um, so it's a multi-step process. I think we have a four interview process and then we end the final round with a, a tribute video, which is a tribute.co, um, is an amazing company that does, um, basically tribute. Um, they, they help aggregate, you know, people sharing tributes about a person um, in a very easy way. So we have them create a tribute where they get all their friends and family to share why they're epic and why they should lead the community. So now all their community is rooting for them to, um, to, ha to take the job, to be part of the community. When I watch the video of their tribute, I'm like even more inspired by them because I see how much of their community loves them. So it's a win-win-win for all the stakeholders involved, right? And, and, um, and it just creates such a beautiful um, gift when we end up watching this tribute video with them live because they've not watched it before. They start crying inevitably. You know, there's so much excitement um, to see how much their community cares about them, how they spoke so beautifully uh, about why they make great community leaders um, for Daybreaker. And it's just a, it's a wonderful, um, it's a wonderful um, experience all around. Yeah, well, that's amazing. So I'm curious, what advice would you give to our audience that are in the early stages of building their brands and, and are looking to develop like this yeah, like cult-like community following where people adore the work that you're doing. 
So step one is build a community that's real. Like don't try to buy Instagram followers or build a social following. Create a real community and and really, you know, for even before I launched the very first Daybreaker in 2013, um, my co-founder and I, um, we wrote down our our core values. We wrote down, we had a whole sort of set of, you know, if, you, if you're a Daybreaker community member, these are the five values that you're going to live through, you know, wellness, camaraderie, self-expression, mindfulness, and mischief, right? And so if you can live under these five core values, then you're going to want to feel like you belong to this community. So we, we, from the very beginning, so when, you know, if you're thinking about creating a brand, what are the core values of your community, not just of your product or your project, but what are the core values of your community? Why do they care about you? And uh, why would they want to stick around, right? And so, um, so really kind of starting, you know, what we did at Daybreaker was I, me and my co-founder, we, we basically debated for three days, um, writing names of people down on Excel spreadsheets of friends of ours that we thought would have good vibes and wouldn't be poo poo the idea of waking up at 6am on a weekday morning, sober to go dancing, you know, cause there's lots of people that I knew who were like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of in my entire life. Right. So we wrote down a list of 300 names of friends that we knew would be like, heck yeah. I wake up early in the morning and put on a costume, glitter up my face and dance on a Wednesday before going to work. Like why the F not, you know? And I call them in my book, Belong, FYFs, fuck yeah friends, right? And you want to surround yourself and your brand with FYFs. And that's the best way to start your brand because they'll be your greatest ambassadors for you. And they also align with your core values. So just build your, your brand, your community with FYFs. And that's just a, a, a great way to start a community, right? Um, and your community becomes your early adopters. They buy your Kickstarter campaign video, you know, your, your underwear for your Kickstarter. They buy your first tickets, the Daybreaker. They buy, you know, they're the ones who are there to support you and, and want you to win, right? And, um, and then how you sustain a community over time is very different strategically than how you build a community, right? How you sustain a community over time is through the intersection of mystery and safety. Um, and it's a term that, um, you know, kind of I share, it's, it's a mystery safety um, is, is now something I talk about all the time in community building because you can't build a community over time if you're doing the same stuff over and over again. There's a reason why church is declining, you know, because like nobody wants to go to the same place, sing the same hymns, read the same book. It's just like we don't get the dopamine rush, right? The dose, the D in dose. We Humans need a dopamine rush and we need newness. We need things that feel novel and exciting. So, so we crave that. So if things become the same, which is why Daybreaker always roves, we never ever, which is a lot of work for us, but we never ever go to the same venue more than three times, four times in a year uh, because we want to keep changing, giving you a new dopamine hit, keep changing the excitement, the theme, the experience. So, so it's like the mystery of your community, of, of, of giving them something new, something exciting, something fresh all the time, right? And then the safety of knowing that when they do come to your brand or your experience or your service, that it's going to be for Daybreaker, for example, it's well-produced, that the food and beverage is well-curated, that the DJs are so epic, that the art, you know, that the that the wow moments is what we call them, our, you know, performances are going to be well-curated, that the community that shows up is going to be a really kind of intellectual but playful, mischievous crowd, right? So it's a, it's a very um, safe feeling to know that, oh, Daybreaker is going to invite that type of crowd, that type of experience into my, into my, 
you know, into my experience. And therefore I feel good to purchase a ticket for $39 or $159 or whatever it is that we're creating for, for them. Um, so so like that. So I think it's like really understanding who the first early adopters are, who your FYFs are in your community to kick start your community. And then how are you inviting mystery and safety as you grow and sustain your community over time? Yeah, wow, that's awesome. I love it. Um, can you talk more about the safety piece? Yeah, so the safety piece is just, um, again, connecting to the values of your community, right? It's connecting to the feeling of, it's not just sort of safe as in like, you know, lion's not going to eat me. Like it's safe as in the feeling of, you know, when I come here, there's a curation. Like when someone goes to founder, right, they know that, the interviewees are going to be maybe interesting, or they know that they're they're you know the 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 magazine is going to give a value add that, that there's a safety of knowing that if they subscribe to the magazine that there's something um, magic and special and new and unique about your lens that they can't get from anywhere else, right? So that's the safety of that knowing. And the mystery is you're changing the cover every time. You're changing the you know the articles. It's always the issues change. You're you're already in the same space. Like we're really effectively doing the same business except yours is, you know, two-dimensional on paper and mine is three-dimensional in the real world, right? So safety is just feeling like when your customer, your community member is coming to your brand, they know that they're going to expect a certain level of professionalism, a certain level of of brand equity, a certain level of um, sort of uh, customer service, you know, all experience design, um, community, you know, sort of values alignment, all of that, right? So those are the things that um, that safety means for me. And also when I think of safety, I think of, you know, for Daybreaker, it's, you know, in our community building playbook that we teach our community architects, you know, I talk about, you know, safety through the lens of every aspect of your sensory experience as well. So, you know, I call, you know, for example, a space that we gather in, I, you know, we always want to invite a bowl effect. We call it a bowl effect. We want a two-dimensional leveled experience, which, you know, we coined actually at, at Daybreaker because we were like, wait a minute, sort of single level flat spaces don't create the same level of intimacy than if there was multiple levels inside of a space and people can see each other on different levels, right? So that's another experience of safety, of being able to see each other in a crowd, right? To be able to make eye contact with anyone, anywhere you look at a Daybreaker event, you can turn around you can, you can make contact with them. Whereas, you know, if I'm at a festival, for example, I'm just, I, me, I'm five feet too tall. You know, I just see a sea of butts and backs. Like I can't really see anything, you know? And so um, to, to design your experience for your community members, for your customers with that level of precision is so important to building a scalable a community. And the last thing I'm going to share here that I think is so critical that nobody thinks about, um, that I think is also a critical ingredient for, for Daybreaker and our, our rise and in, in our movement is thinking about reverse engineering your experience, reverse engineering um, your, your, um, 
your product or service. So for example, for Daybreaker, it's like, how do we create a loyal community who wants to keep coming back again and again? Well, let's understand the human brain first. How does the human brain work? right? The human brain, and let's understand what joy means. Okay, so dose has been part of our DNA from the very beginning, right? Dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, and endorphins. What if we reverse engineer an experience, right, where every single person released their entire dose at an event. So we knew that music creates a dopamine release. We know that, you know, if you get someone moving fast or something, there's an endorphins release. We know that if there's a gratitude moment or there's a moment of, you know, breath or whatever there's, or, um, you know, a moment of, um, an outdoor sunlit moment, you get the serotonin rush. You know that if you have a moment where you're getting hugged or uh, high-fived or you're in connection, that you're getting the oxytocin rush. So when you leave that experience, you've gotten your quartet of happy neurochemicals tickled. And of course, you're going to want to come back again and again because it feels great. But most event producers or experience designers or founders or creators don't think about you know, their, their web experience through the lens of dose, you know, their, their, their product experience through the lens of dose, their, 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 their community experience through the lens of dose. They're just kind of, kind of like desperate for how many RSVPs I can get, how many likes and follows I can get, how many people can, you know, can, um, yeah, just, just, uh, louder my, or share my, my article. Um, when, if you just focused on the individual dose experience, the virality of that one person is is exponential. Yeah, no, that's so cool what you're talking about because really like when you think around business, it's around kind of how do you create relationships at scale? So if you really have a thoughtful approach around building community, really looking after your people, then you can really facilitate relations at scale at a much deeper level as well. And you'll get much stronger word of mouth and it'll just build organically. So that's, it sounds like that's how you've been able to build over time. We've spent zero dollars on marketing for seven years. Really? We literally wow. spent zero. We're, we're literally hiring a marketing director for Dose for the first time in seven years. We've never needed one because we call it whisper sharing. We scaled just by our community whisper sharing to one another by creating an experience so potent, so joy inducing that they wanted to invite their 10 friends. And not only they want to invite their 10 friends, they want to line up after our event to wait to talk to me, to let me know that they invited their three friends, that they were so proud that they invited these three friends. They wanted to let me know that, right? And so that's what we want to create, such a loyal community that they feel so invested in the community growing too. And that just takes care. That takes intention, care, values alignment, all of this intention and understanding our, our brain body truly, you know? Yeah, no, that's incredible. Well, look, we have to work towards wrapping up. I could talk to you about this stuff all day by the looks of it. A um, couple more questions. Uh, one, anything that you want to share with our audience of early stage startup founders? Um, a question or something that I haven't asked you that you would love me to ask you? And then lastly, where's the best place people can find out more about yourself and your work? Yeah, I, you know, I think the first thing um, that I want to share with, I mean, I guess the, the main thing is, remember to face yourself as the founder, to remember to continue courageously facing yourself. And I think we, when we're on the path of, of just running and sprinting um, as a founder, we forget 
to look under the hood, to unpack our own childhood, you know, sort of traumas, to unpack our, you know, all of the things that uh, will, will haunt us in the future in our leadership, in our decision-making, in um, just all aspects of our life. And so uh, whether it's leadership coaching, whether it's group coaching, whether it's um, just starting a community group, I have a women's circle that I, I, um, I you know, uh, I, I'm a part of um, every Monday, uh, whether it's an entrepreneurship circle that maybe founder creates, um, you know, that's how, that's how um, you remember. And, and also, you know, and also in remembering to continue doing that, to have a monthly check-in or to have a weekly check-in, to have a daily check-in with yourself. Hey, am I leading from a place of authenticity? Am I leading from a place of insecurity? Am I leading from a place of, of grasping? Am I leading from a place of, um, of sort of manifesting, right? Because I'm so authentic in my messaging. And so I think that's, it's just so important to do that. And I think that the, the faster young entrepreneurs know to face themselves, to continue doing that work while building their community, they are going to be not only so much more successful in the long run, but they'll have friends to celebrate it with, um, not enemies to hoard it from, right? But truly, you know, when I sold my company, Thanks, last year, um, because I knew the importance of community, my sister and I, you know, we, we brought 40 friends to uh, Colombia on a on a just on a birthday trip, it was just like a thank you for being with us on our on our on our path. And the number of, you know, and and the number of entrepreneurs that I know who don't even have a friend after giving their entire like entire life and guts to their business, they had no one to celebrate their exit with, no one to celebrate their small and big wins with. And and at the end of life, that those are the things that that you remember and will think about and will realize what the heck was it all for, right? Why was I chasing after my insecurity or my, you know, or my, um, my need to prove that I am worthy, right? Like, can we do both things? We'll discover our own worthiness while inviting a deep purpose and um, into, into the world. And so um, that's the biggest piece of advice I can share. Incredible. Thank you so much. Um, And, Where's the best place people can find out more about yourself and your work? Yeah, so I teach a bunch of joy practices. Um, maybe I do, you know, one or two classes, joy practice a week. I just feel so passionate about it. Um, so I'm teaching two of these. So you can find us at dose.daybreaker.com. Um, otherwise, you can find me on Instagram at love.rada. You can happy to DM me. I'm happy to um, answer any questions you might have on, on your entrepreneurial journey. Um, otherwise I hope to see you on the dance floor in the flesh, um, at one of our cities. Um, and there's also, oh yeah, we wanted to offer you guys, um, a little, um, offer as well, 50% off on your first month for your, for your listeners. So that you can put in the show notes, but, um, but we didn't want to offer that to everybody who took the time to get to the end of this podcast to know that, um, that we, we, um, are investing in your joy and we really want you to practice it. So first two weeks on us and then the, the first month, um, we're offering 50% off. It's yeah, it's daybreaker.com slash founder. Awesome. Well, Rada, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. And thank you just uh, for being so open and honest and uh, humble about this uh, yeah, crazy journey you've been on. Of course. Thanks for having me. Hey, guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview. As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content 
either start or grow their business, which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in depth on teaching a particular topic, and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.